Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity to gather together as Mishpachai's family to worship you in your presence. Lord, I pray that you breathe into our hearts and our lives today as we open up your word, that you speak boldly in our midst, that it be your words heard, your words received, and nothing of me involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Have your way in our midst today and open our hearts and prepare us to receive from you. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, so this week we're in Parsha Shalak uh, Lecha, which comes from Numbers 13, 1 through 15, 41. And uh, this is actually one of my favorite Parshot because I think it's really interesting to watch uh, kind of how the brain of Israel operates in the wilderness. Um, you know, we, we know as we look through the Torah that over and over again Israel has a really good habit of, of kind of turning their back on the Lord and on the Lord's calling and, and what the Lord wants to do through and for them. Uh, and this is a kind of prime example of, of that exact reality. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. It says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Send some men on your behalf to investigate the land of Canaan, which I am giving to Ben Israel. Each man you are to send will be a prince of the tribe of his fathers, uh, a man from each tribe. So according to the word of Adonai, Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All the men were princes of Ben Israel. Uh, if we read the, the narrative here in Numbers, and we read the narrative in Deuteronomy, uh, we recognize that there are some slight variances to the story. Here, it says God told Moses to send the spies, and in Deuteronomy, it says Moses told Israel, you asked me to send spies. Um, and uh, tradition says, and, and I believe that it's actually some sort of combination of the two, uh, knowing Israel and their um, willingness to, to not really walk in faithfulness to the promises and calling of the Lord, it wouldn't surprise me in the least that the, the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, went to Moses and said, look, we're now staring at the Jordan River as we're standing here in the, the, the uh, in Paran, uh, the river of Paran. We can look across and see the border of the land of Canaan. We can see everything going on over there. Um, and we're not quite sure yet what we think about the scenario. Uh, can we just send some people over to find out uh, how things really are over there? And Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, yeah, go ahead, send people over. That's fine, whatever. Um, but, and, and I truly believe that the Lord knew Israel's heart. Uh, as he already knows ours and, and knows the heart of everyone that he's ever breathed the breath of life into, he knew good and well the report that would come back and the disparity on the hearts of the people of Israel when they hear this report. Yet the Lord allowed for the spies to go forth anyways. So we pick up in verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. As he sent them to explore the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there through the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and the people living there, whether they might be strong or weak, few or many, and what kind of land are they living? Is it good or bad? Also, what about the cities in which they are living? Are they unwalled or do they have fortification? How is the soil, fertile or poor? 
Are these trees, are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So Moses sends the spies into the land. There's one from each tribe, so 12 spies going into the promised land. Two of them are Joshua and Caleb. Uh, so he sends these spies in and he says, listen, when you go, I want you to go in and I want you to see if the cities are, uh, are fortified or not. I want you to see what the fruit's like. I want you to see what the land's like. Uh, tradition says that when the Lord says, are there trees or not, that it's speaking of individuals that are righteous, that have a heart for the Lord, because we see throughout Scripture this idea of uh, the tree of life and the righteousness in his word and so on and so forth. So tradition says that it wasn't specifically looking for actual trees, but instead are there any righteous people? As to whether or not that's that's factual or not, it's a whole other story, but it does seem to align with things that we see like with uh, Abraham and uh, uh, um, uh, the, the whole situation with... Um, Oh, my mind just went completely blank on me on the name of the cities that he, the Lord destroyed, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, there we go. Uh, Abraham, the, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, hey, you know, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and Abraham goes, well, you know, but, but Lord, what if there's some righteous people there? You know, what if, what if there's 50 righteous people? And the Lord says, oh, if there's 50 righteous people, I'll save them. Uh, I'll save them all. And he goes, okay, but, you know, hey, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10 people that are righteous left there? And the Lord says, even for 10 people, I'll save uh, those living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know the story. There weren't any, including his nephew Lot and uh, his children, uh, because we saw when the Lord uh, saved them only because of their relationship with Abraham that things went south kind of quick. And, uh, and because of that scenario, Israel has... Uh, a history of some of the greatest enemies they ever experienced uh, throughout their their time in the land of, of Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. So as we see this, we can see there's some validity to this this idea. But nonetheless, it really what matters is that Moses sends them in to spy out the land. And if you read the description of the things he asks them to look for, there are things that should they all be favorable, should be encouraging to the nation of Israel. It should encourage them to want to go and to take the promises of the Lord, to want to go in and take charge of what the Lord said he's going to do for them. Yet in the midst of all of this, we know that that in fact is not what happens and their heart is led astray. So they go in, they travel around, they spy out the land for 40 days, they come back in verse 26. Uh, it says, they travel and return to Moses, Aaron, and the entire community of Israel, Kadesh, and the wilderness of Paran. I don't think Moses' intent was for them to go back to the nation and give the report to the people of Israel. I think his intent was for them to bring the report back to him so that he could then relay to Israel the message in a way that would encourage them, not bring them down. But instead, they come and they make sure that they bring the report back in front of everyone. And here's where it gets interesting. They gave the report to them and the entire assembly, they showed the land's fruit. They gave their account to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit. Now, they carry back a cluster of grapes that is so big that they have to carry it on a stick uh, over the shoulders of a, of a couple of people. Uh, the sages say it was eight people that was necessary to carry the one uh, cluster of grapes. Uh, and then they also brought back pomegranates and so on. Uh, but as they come back, they, they go to the people of Israel and they stand before the entire nation. And they say, the land is exactly as Adonai said. But 
Except the people living in the land are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the mountains. And the Canaanites are living near the sea and along the bank of the Jordan River. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should definitely go up and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. So the, the, the ten spies are saying, look, the land is exactly like the Lord said, but there's no possible way we can take these people. There's no possible way. Yeah, yeah, sure, everything God said was going to happen is true, but, but there's no possible way he could continue holding up his end of the deal because these people are huge. We look like grasshoppers to them, and likewise, they look at us and see us like grasshoppers, and so on and so forth. And it goes on to say that all through the night, chapter 14, verse 1, all through the night, that these uh, uh, ten spies were going among the camps of Israel and they were breeding this dis- disdain, this discouragement, this fear and, and anger into the tribes of Israel so that the next day uh, the tribes of Israel refused to go into the promised land and in fact stood up and said, listen, let's kill Moses and Aaron. We'll get rid of them. We'll pick new leaders that'll take us back to Egypt. It'll all be okay there. We don't have to worry about people trying to kill us there. Something tells me that I have a worse scenario going back to Egypt. Because they wanted to kill them before they left, much less now that they're coming back, and already uh, a lot of the Egyptians died because of them. Uh, so I think that you know it's one of those scenarios that the only option is to go forward, uh, and they reject the promises of the Lord. They reject the Lord's blessing upon them. They reject what the Lord said He wanted to give to them, and that His promise to the forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was theirs and was going to be theirs uh, for eternity. They reject the direction and the calling of the Lord. They reject his promises upon their life. And so they, uh, instead, uh, they, they cry out and say, let's kill Moses, let's kill Aaron, let's get on with our lives, let's go back to Egypt. And the Lord gets angry. And immediately the ten spies with the evil report dies in a plague. And then the Lord tells Moses, listen, uh, you know, uh, Moses begins to cry out for Israel and intercede on their behalf as he always does. And the Lord says, listen, I hear you. Uh, I agree with you. I will forgive them for this mistake. But this first generation... The, the people that left Egypt, that were 20 and above when they left Egypt, every one of them will die in this wilderness before the, their children step foot in the promised land. It will be the next generation that goes into the promised land, not this generation. It will be the next generation that experiences the promises of Adonai. And so what ultimately was 40 years in the wilderness, one year for each day that the spies spent in the promised land, a total of 38 years from the day of the evil report being brought back to the nation of Israel counting the two years predicating that was 40 years, uh, the nation of Israel wandered what appeared to be aimlessly in the wilderness. Now, we recognize that the Lord was in fact uh, doing a work in bolstering the faith of the second generation uh, before they go into the promised land, but Israel wanders for 40 years in the wilderness, just patiently waiting for the first generation to die off. Um, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but if I were the, the generation previous, I think I might have been slicing some throats to speed the process up. Because, uh, I mean, the inevitable is going to happen. We might as well make this quick. No, uh, not for real. Though. But the, 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 reality, the reality is, is, is that this first generation who saw all of the, the works that the Lord did for them as they came out of Egypt, bringing them out by his mighty hand, didn't have the faith enough to trust that the Lord could continue and would continue to do what he had done. The very people that have now for two years continuously been eating a divinely provided sustenance every single day of their lives for two straight years as the manna from heaven appeared on the ground they collected and they 
provide their food from it. The same people who saw the Lord provide water from the midst of a rock, who saw the Lord make the bitter waters drinkable by throwing a stick into it. The same who saw all of these wonders, mighty works of the Lord and his provision and protection over them didn't have the faith enough to trust that he could follow through on the rest of what he said he would do. And what's really interesting here, and I think what is the most complicated uh, part of this entire narrative, is actually if we go to the Haftorah, to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. This is our Haftorah Parsha this week, Joshua 2, uh, verse 1. Notice in this text that Joshua, uh, the, the uh, predecessor of Moses, the next leader of Israel, actually does in fact send spies in the promised land as well, right? But we notice that he does things a little different, right? How many spies does he send in? Two. He doesn't send 12. Why? Because only two came back with a good report. So he figures at least now I got a 50-50 shot. Uh, and, and we'll throw some, some, some dice to find out which one dies if they got the bad word. But, uh, but he says we'll send two spies in. But he specifically tells them, go in, spy out the land, and come right back to me. Don't go to the people. Come to me and tell me what you see. And this is what's interesting. Verse 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out two spies from Shittim, saying, Go explore the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And we see all of this about how Rahab protects them as the king wants to kill them. Uh, and uh, it sounds familiar to foreshadowing of the narrative of the birth of Messiah, too, by the way. Uh, so we see all of this happening. We see Rahab protecting them. And then we go to verse 8. Verse 8, the Rahab has now provided a place from the state. She sent off the king's men uh, and everything going on. So uh, uh, she goes to uh, them as they're preparing to lay down to sleep. In verse 8, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that Adonai has given you the land. Dread of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are melting in fear before you. For we have heard how Adonai dried up the waters of the Sea of Reeds before you and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard, when we heard about it, our hearts melted, and no spirit remained any more in anyone because of you. For Adonai, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So now, please swear to me by Adonai, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with me, uh, with my father's house. Give me a true sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and save our lives from the dead, from the death. Notice as we read this, Rahab says some really interesting things. She says, fear is upon us and all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Ever since we heard about what the Lord did for you when he dried up the waters of the Sea of Reeds, the Yom Suf, the Red Sea, as you came out of Egypt, ever since we heard what he did for you in the wilderness with the kings of the Amorites, ever since we heard of all of these things that the Lord has done in the wilderness, notice the people in the land of Canaan, the Lord says, I'm going to give you this land and rid the land of the people of the Canaanites because they are too far gone. Right? The Canaanites were really despicable people. They did some really horrendous things in their pagan worship. And the Lord said, look, there's, there's basically there's no hope left for them. Uh, and he says, he says uh, I'm going to rid them out of the land, and I'm going to give this land to you instead. Uh, but the people that the Lord basically says there's no hope left for, the people that are probably the antithesis of the people of God, had more faith in the promises of God, had more faith in what they saw the Lord do through and for Israel, than the first generation of the Israelites did who actually physically and personally experienced those things. 
See, I want you to understand, this is a really important thing for us to grasp. Because each of us live lives as believers in Messiah Yeshua's, those filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, we live lives of promise. We have promises laid before us. We have calling laid before us. We have purpose laid before us. The Lord has created us for a reason. And each of us he has spoken life into. He has breathed fresh life into. Each of us he has given us promises in the same sense that he did to Israel for the promised land. He has given us promises that he, entire, in, in, that he intends to fulfill in our lives and to bring for, to fruition to bless us for the purpose of blessing the world around us. So it was to Abraham the promise that was made was I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. He didn't say, I'm going to bless you because I like you. He didn't say, I'm going to bless you because you're awesome. He didn't say, I'm going to bless you because you're my boy. He said, I'm going to bless you so that through you I can bless the nations. The blessings and the promises that the Lord has in store, everything that he's done for us in our lives up to this point are merely a, a, a sampling of what he's got in store to, to continue to draw us in faithfulness uh, to trust in his promises and what he wants to do in our lives. But much like Israel, who hears this evil report come back that says, look, the land is exactly as the Lord said it would be. It is flowing with milk and honey. The fruit is amazing. It is unreal. The way the land looks, it's beautiful. There are cities there. Everything's great. But we can never take these people. And see, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. Is yes, the Lord's got all these promises for you. He's told you these things he's going to do. Whether it's he's told you you're going to have a new job or a new direction in your life. Or, you know, Danielle and I, uh, for, for years, I tried to become a Messianic rabbi. The Lord put a calling on my heart since I was a kid. I've known my entire life what I, what I was supposed to be. And I ran from it for a while. I didn't, didn't want anything to do with it. My father is a Messianic rabbi. My father-in-law is a Messianic rabbi. Um, I witnessed firsthand what people do to their shepherds. Um, and I didn't want nothing to do with it at all. Um, I, I didn't want the headache. I didn't want anything to do. I had no problem serving the Lord. I was on worship teams and uh, uh, outreach teams and, and worked with the youth at our synagogue and all this kind of stuff. I had no problem serving the Lord. I didn't want to be a rabbi because I knew all the garbage that goes along with it. But I've known my entire life what my calling was. And in my late teens, early 20s, I finally gave in to the Lord's call and decided that I was going to chase the calling he gave me and the promises he's spoken into my life in that calling. And so I decided to start following that and, and, and everything that I did from that moment forward was for the purpose of seeing the fulfillment of God's promises and calling in my life. And you know what? It was a pain in the butt. It was ridiculous, the hurdles I had to go through. It was ridiculous. You know, we, we were part of a movement that uh, was, was really a spontaneous birthing. The Messianic Jewish movement was a spontaneous birthing. It was absolutely a move of God. It was absolutely an end-time prophetic reality. But it was a spontaneous birthing in, in the, the, the 60s and 70s and 80s, and especially in the 80s when Messianic congregations started to blossom in the U.S., you know, a, a few here and there scattered around. Um, it really was people who had spent careers in the secular world, in the, in the workforce, in the marketplace that the Lord called to start congregations and, and begin to lead these Messianic synagogues and become rabbis. And, and so for the first 15, 20 years of the Messianic Jewish movement, as we know it since the 80s, all of the rabbis were people that had other careers that the Lord called them out of to start, start working in this field and to start working in ministry. And some of them were working both careers at the same time and some were doing all these things. But what we never really processed was that there would come a day in the future where the Lord would be raising people up that all that they were going to do was lead congregations that they were bred from the very beginning of their life 
to lead Messianic synagogues and to lead our people back to Messiah, uh, back to the Lord through Messiah Yeshua. It, it didn't really, because we were so buried down in the nitty-gritty of this is a, a, uh, um, a planted movement, this is a, a, a groundbreaking thing, this is, we, we've got to be forerunners and frontrunners in everything that we do. And, and we never really thought about the fact that, that those front runners and any movement are really a preparation for the continuation of that movement that the Lord wants to do. And my generation, and, and, and there's a few other rabbis in our movement that are, are in my age group, and my generation of Messianic rabbis in the movement, you know, we grew up and we, were, we went to school to be rabbis. Right? We, we, we didn't come out of the marketplace to be rabbis. We went to school for it. We trained under other rabbis for it. I've worked in, I think, seven different congregations under five different Messianic rabbis uh, 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 over the course of the last uh, couple of decades, two decades or so, um, uh, almost two decades. Uh, I've, I've worked, uh, I went to college for this. I've, I've gone through all the yeshiva classes with the, the, the organization that we're part of. I've done all of these things, and you know, as I followed the, 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 the calling of the Lord and the promises he spoke into my life, I hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock because our movement didn't quite know yet what to do with people like me. With people that had the pedigree, for lack of a better way of wording it. My father was a Messianic rabbi. My father-in-law is a Messianic rabbi. Uh, they didn't know what to do with people that had the pedigree. They didn't know what to do with people that had the education for this. That had the experience and the training, first-hand training for this. They didn't know what to do with that, and, and, and how do we move forward? And, and I kept hitting all these roadblocks, and you know, the enemy over and over again tried to use that to go, look, you know, you've had all of this, the Lord's paved this way for you, and, and everything's gone well in your training and your education, all this. The Lord's paved this way, and it's exactly what he said, but, but you see, they don't want you. You see, it's not as good as you thought it was going to be. You see, it's not as awesome as, as what, what the Lord promised you and anticipated, the, the things you had anticipated. Um, you know, the, the land is exactly as the Lord said, but the hurdles are bigger than you. The battles are bigger than you. The fighters are bigger than you. The other rabbis are bigger than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've just got to lay down and let the, the, the bus go on without you. And it would have been very easy. And there were countless times that Danielle and I had the conversation just to let's throw the towel in and walk away from this because it's not worth the headache anymore. It's not worth the headache to go through this. But unlike my forefathers, the first generation of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, I wasn't willing to give in to the lies of the enemy. I wasn't willing to give in to the, the discouragement of the enemy. I wasn't willing to give in to the evil reports that were laid before me because I knew that the promise of the Lord was greater than the, the, the curse of the enemy. I knew the promises that the Lord had in store for me, the calling, the purpose he created me for, was greater than anything the enemy could ever try to do to discourage that. And that as much as the Lord brought me through all of the things leading up to this point, that he would continue to bring us through it. Same thing with starting this congregation. We hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. We've had ups and downs and ups and downs. We've had attendance things and people come and people go. We've had hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. But the Lord made a promise to us seven years ago when he called us to start this congregation that he was going to do something huge and important and powerful through this community on the Eastern Shore and that he had a reason and a purpose for us being here. And we fervently continue. Look, there were plenty of times that Danielle and I have gone, Shh, let's just throw in the towel and walk away from it. It's not worth the headache. 
But the Lord had greater things in store, and we keep pushing through, and we keep pushing through, and we keep pushing through, and we turn our backs on what the enemy is trying to say to discourage us and dissuade us because he's got something greater in store, and the same is true for each of you. You're going through your own crap in your own lives right now, and the enemy's trying to bog you down so that you don't buy into the promises that the Lord has spoken into your life. And listen, whether or not you've heard the audible voice of the Lord tell you specifically a promise over your life or not, there are promises in the scripture that relate to you because you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua. You are a person who is a part of the child, a part of the children of God. You are a part of the nation of Israel, whether natural or unnatural branches grafted in. There are promises that the Lord has breathed into your life that he wants to fulfill for you and for the good of his kingdom. Not for you because you're his homie, not for you because he thinks you're awesome. Odds are he probably thinks you're obnoxious because we continue to be obnoxious to the Lord, all of us, but because he wants to bless the world through you. See, we get hung up in the promises of the Lord. We get hung up in, 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 look, these things are going great for me. He's got all this in store for me. It must be me. I think that's what happens to so many televangelists that fall as they get caught up in there. It must be me. There's something about me. When the reality says, it's nothing about you. It's what I want to do for the rest of the world through you. If you just get out the way and allow me to work through you. And see, the Lord has promises for you and for I, just as he did for the nation of Israel, just as he still does for the nation of Israel. He has promises for you and I that he wants to, 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 to bring us into and that we can see the fulfillment of everything he has in store in our lives. In Joshua 2, verse 22, or 23, sorry, it continues on. Then the two men returned, came down from the hill country, crossed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. Didn't go to the 12 tribes of Israel. Didn't go to the priesthood. Didn't go to the high priest. He went to, they went to Joshua. And they reported to him all that had befallen them. 24, surely Adonai has given all the land into our hands, they said to Joshua. Indeed, all the inhabitants of the land have melted in fear before us. The inhabitants of the land of Canaan had been in fear of the nation of Israel for 40 years. Since they heard of the Lord bringing them out of Egypt, the nations in the land of Canaan had continued to grow in fear of the people of God because of the things the Lord continued to do for them in the wilderness over the next 40 years. And by the time they finally crossed the Jordan, the people of Canaan could do nothing but quiver in fear of what the Lord was going to do through the nation of Israel in the land of Canaan. And the same is true for you and I. You know why the enemy wants to beat down on you all the time? It's because he's scared to death of you. He's scared to death of what the Lord wants to do through you. He's scared to death of how the Lord wants to use you to defeat him and his minions. He's scared to death of the things that the Lord wants to do to bring life for other people because the enemy wants nothing more than to kill, to steal, and destroy. He wants nothing more than to tear us down to the core so that we have nothing left to be able to have faith in the Lord's promises. And so often, we find ourselves in the position of the first generation, willingly listening to the evil report, ignoring that the words that started the statement out was, everything is exactly as the Lord said. But we prefer to listen to, but we can't do this. Because we can't do this is a lot easier. It's always easier to walk away than it is to push through the hurdles that we're facing. 
that the Lord has made promises to us and his promises are true. His promises are faithful. His promises are real. And he has every intention of fulfilling them in your life just as he did in Israel and bringing them into the promised land and bringing them back to the promised land again and bringing them back again in 1948. And he has more in store for each and every one of us in the same way. Romans chapter 4 verse 16. For this reason it depends on trust. So that the promise according to grace might be guaranteed to all the offspring. Not only to those of the Torah, but also those of faith, uh, of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we trusted. He trusted who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist. And hope beyond hope. He trusted that he would become the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body as good as dead, since he was already a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet he did not waver in unbelief concerning the promises of God. Rather, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he also is able to do. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. We must... We must believe fervently that God is capable of fulfilling the promises just as easily as he spoke them into our lives. We must believe that the Lord is going to follow through on what he has spoken into our hearts and our lives. We must believe that he can and will follow through. And it's through the faithfulness of trusting in his promises in spite of what appears to be obvious and the natural. We have to trust in his promises in the spiritual because there is so much greater that he is capable of than we could ever imagine in the natural. Ephesians 1.13, after you heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation, and when you put your trust in him, you are sealed with the promised Ruach HaKodesh. He is our guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of his possession to his glorious praise. We have been given the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee of the Lord's promises. Not only of what is to be in the future, but of what he's going to do through the Spirit of God in our lives here and now. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to operate through you. He wants to touch others' lives through you. The question is, are you going to be like the first generation coming out of Egypt and listen to the evil report? Or are you going to be like the second generation and listen to the promises? And recognize that God has already paved the way for you. That for your entire life, the Lord has been preparing and paving the way for you. Even when you weren't walking with Him, He's paving the way for you. Because when we walk in His promises, in spite of all of the stuff going on around us, which is just the enemy trying to draw us back, when we walk in the Lord's promises, faithfully trusting in Him, we watch as every door falls. We watch as every opportunity opens up. We watch as God parts the seas so that we will walk through on dry ground. Notice he did it for the first generation. He also did it for the second. The second generation, the wilderness didn't get to experience the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds, parting before them and walking through on dry ground. So what did the Lord do? He did the same thing in the Jordan River. He parted the Jordan River. He held up part of the river. The waters dried up. The ground dried up. And they walked through on dry ground. Because God's promises are true and he is faithful to fulfill them. 
Closing, in, in closing, Numbers 15, going back to the Torah Parsha. Numbers 15, verse 37, this is where the Lord commands about wearing uh, tzitziot, the tassels on our garments. Uh, verse 37, And I spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Ben Israel, say to them, that they are to make for themselves tzitzit on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And they are to put, their, put a blue cord on each uh, tzitzit. It will be their, your own tzitzit, so whenever you look at them, you will remember all the mitzvot of Adonai, and do them, and not go spying out after your own hearts and your own eyes, prostituting yourselves. This way you will remember and obey all my mitzvot and you will be holy to your God. I am Adonai your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Adonai your God. Two really interesting reminders here of who we're supposed to be as the people of God, of who Israel in the wilderness was supposed to be as the people of God. First and foremost is that very last verse, verse 41, I am Adonai your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Adonai your God. In spite of what they just did, and refusing to accept the promises of God. In spite of, even after the Lord said, you won't experience it, but your children will, the first generation still rose up and said, let's go do this, maybe it'll still work out. And Moses says, don't, you're going you're gonna to die. It's not going to work out well. Walk away from it now. Just wait on the Lord's timing. You've already messed it up. Just wait on the Lord's timing. Uh, and in spite of all of that, the Lord still says, I am your God. I am your God. I brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am your God. But the second reminder, uh, which is actually before it, the second reminder is it would be on your, verse 39, it would be on your, uh, your own tzitzit. So whenever you look at them, you will remember all the mitzvot of Adonai and do them and not go spying out after your own hearts and your own eyes, prostituting yourself. The word here in Hebrew uh, is the word taturu, which is from the root word, root word tor, which is the same root word when we talk about the 12 spies that most is sent into the wilderness, uh, into the promised land, at the beginning of this parsha. It's the same root word. It's the same word. All right. So he sends the spies in. They come back. They bring an evil report. The nation of Israel believes and follows the evil report and says the truth of the promises of God. So here, as he's forgiving them and he's reminding them of what he's called Israel to be and the promises and blessings he's got for them, he says the word tzitzil, the tassels on the end of your garments with blue strings. So when you look down upon them, you remember to keep the, the, the commandments of the Lord and you will not go astray, spying after your own hearts and prostituting yourselves. This is what Israel did when the, the spies came back, was they gave them to their own hearts. They were afraid in the natural, not recognizing what God was doing in the spiritual. They were afraid in the natural, and they chased after their own hearts. Their own hearts led them astray. And so he uses the same word. He says, do not become like your forefathers before you who listened to the evil report of the spies. Don't forget about the word of the Lord and start spying after your own heart and doing what you want to do. By the way, every time somebody says, chase after the dreams of your heart, I just want to punch them. Because the word of God says that our heart leads us in the wrong direction all the time. But it's important for us to recognize this reminder here, this seat seat or a reminder uh, of, of how the Lord, and it's an intentional reminder. Right? The Lord doesn't waste words just for no reason. It's an intentional reminder that in order for us to follow his promises, we have to hold true to the reality of his heart. Not our heart, his heart. And we have to make sure that we don't chase after and spy after our own heart. The things that we think we should or want to do, or the things that we think we're afraid of. Because no matter how much fear we may have, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen. Greater is he who is in Israel than he who is in the land of Canaan. Amen. 
We look at Joshua, the book of Joshua, and the first few cities and battles that Israel goes into. Israel doesn't have to do anything. They just clear up the mess when God's done. Right? Over and over and over again. All they do is clean up the mess. The Lord's already paved the way. Are you willing to follow Him as He leads you into His promises for your life? Because He's got nothing but good in store for you. He just wants you to faithfully follow Him, to trust Him, to turn your back on the enemy's evil reports. To turn your back on what the enemy is trying to do to break you down. Because the Lord has so much more in store for you. And the promise isn't just for you. It's for your children and your children's children and those that come after them. It's for your spiritual children that the Lord leads to Him through you and their children and their children's children and their spiritual children. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to move through you. And the promise that He's spoken over your life and the same as with Israel and this congregation, the Lord wants to see them come to fruition. He wants to fulfill them. He wants to breathe into your life in new and powerful ways. Not because he likes you. He does. More than that, he loves you. But it's not because of that. It's because of what he wants to do for the people around you, through you. Because it's about his kingdom, not about you and I. So I want to encourage you this morning. In spite of everything that you see going on around you, in spite of the weight and the pain and the anguish that you've gone through to get to where you are now, in spite of all of the turmoil that may be facing you before you see the fruition of God's promises, know that the Lord has spoken good into your life. Know that the Lord loves you more than you could ever imagine. And that He's got you covered. He's already paved the way. He's already prepared it. The enemy's going to keep throwing hurdles in your way. He's going to keep putting battles up before you. He's going to keep trying to tear you down. But remember that the land is exactly as the Lord said it would. Remember that everything the Lord has spoken is true. We may not see it right out the gate. We may only see the hurdles. But if we can just get past the hurdle, if we can just get past what's in our way and trust the Lord to bring us through it, to fight that battle for us, we'd be amazed at what the, the reality of the promises are on the other side. It may seem hard now, but it's going to be so much harder in the future if we don't walk faithfully now. Because it's always harder to backtrack than it is to walk with the stream of the Lord. The promises of the Lord are true and He's breathing them in you and I now and He wants to bring it to fruition. Do not be like the first generation coming out of Egypt, squandering what the Lord has done, seeing the fruit and the truth of the land, but selling yourself short of what he has in store for you. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. Lord, I thank you that your word is true and ever faithful to show us the realities of what you want to do in our lives and through your people. Father, I thank you that there is an ever-growing, encouraging word that we can take from your scriptures, Lord, not just uh, uh, as we try, not as we try to eisegetically interpret Scripture through what we want to hear and see and know, but Lord, that you have already inspired these words over thousands of years for the specific purpose of building us up in faith in you and in your promises and what you want to do in and through us. 
Father, I pray that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, will move in a mighty and powerful way over each and every person hearing these words today. Lord, that hearts will be changed and turned back to you. Father, that we will not waste another minute doubting your promises, but walk faithfully in the truth of your word and the knowledge of the good of your kingdom, Lord. Father, I thank you for every trial that you've brought us through, every lesson that we've learned, and most importantly, Lord, I thank you for where you are taking us as we follow your promise and your leading in our lives. Let your Shekinah, your divine glory, Lord, lead us in everything that we do. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. Amen and amen.